Hi, Cop Prairie. There is this great sketch. It's oh, oh, years and years old. A great sketch on Saturday Night Live involving Robert De Niro and Maya Rudolph. And Robert De Niro plays a mall Santa, and Maya Rudolph is the elf that stands next to him. It's not too long into the sketch that you realize Maya and Santa have a relationship. And she's bitter about the fact that Santa hasn't proposed to her yet. And um, this is all happening, of course, while at least one young child comes and sits on his lap and Santa's trying to do his job, but he and Maya the elf are arguing. And uh, there's at least one time when you'll just burst out laughing if you want to look it up. So Maya Rudolph, Robert De Niro, Santa Mall, Saturday Night Live. All right, Mall Santa. The cool thing about it is, and the reason we're not showing it is, of course, it would get pulled by the by the auto robots that roam the internet for NBC. Anyway, I encourage you to look at that for a chuckle, maybe not when the kids are in the room, um, because, because it, it is this great testimony of how heartbreaking it is to be promised something or to expect something, to expect a promise and for it never to come true. And that's really at the heart of the tension between the two. And uh, there's one point where there's a, the mother of the boy who's sitting on his lap. The boy's name is Zechariah, by the way. You should pay attention to that. Um, the mother shouts to Zach. She says, run, Zach, run. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a thing. Anyway, so with this aggrieved feeling elf and this trying to keep it all together, frustrated with his career mall Santa, you have this picture of people whose lives have not yet reached the, ah, the goals that they had in mind for themselves, either vocationally or relationally. You know, I was counseled as a young dad when our boys were little, and I think Laura was too, I was counseled, don't make promises you can't keep, because that, that'll sour your kids on the idea of, of not just promises in general, but, but your faithfulness and fidelity. I mean, you can say things like, sweetie, I love you and I always will. Because that's 100% within your control. You decide whether you're gonna love somebody. But saying, kiddos, this is gonna be our last move, I promise. That might be harder to deliver on, right? If your company folds or there's a big economic dislocation or like the Chiefs, they're gonna go all the way this year. That is totally outrunning your coverage. You just don't, you just don't promise things that you don't know are gonna come true. Now this is the third message in our Caw Prairie series, Back to the Beginning, where we look at the first chapter of each of the four Gospels in the New Testament, Gospels being the, the good stories about Jesus that the Gospel writers put together with the help of the Holy Spirit. So today we're gonna to look at the promises that are referred to, either, either that God makes or that the angel Gabriel cites when the, when Jesus' birth and the birth of his cousin John the Baptist are announced. So, I'm going to ask you, because this is a, a long chapter, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles either on an app like I've got here on my laptop or on your phone, or better yet, get an old-fashioned paper Bible in the flesh and open it up to Luke chapter 1. So I'm going to start reading. There's a lot in here, not going to cover it all, obviously. But there's enough that I really want us to focus on as we think about what it means on the third Sunday of Advent, the Joy Sunday, if you light Advent candles, what it means to prepare for the coming of Jesus. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, New Living Translation. 
Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been, that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So the word Theophilus means God lover. That frequently refers to a non-Jewish person who is interested in the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, as his holy name is named. So it's, it's written by a doctor named Luke, a physician, and clearly a well-traveled, pretty critical thinker physician, for another non-Jewish person and for him and his family and his, all his contacts to get to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And I love it. So you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. It says in verse 4, when I, when I hear that, I'm like, he wants Theophilus, whether that's a, a single guy's name or the name of anybody who's a God lover, he wants him or them to believe in Jesus, believe that what they know about him is certainly true. And at Christmas time, it's sometimes hard to, for, for critical thinkers and for kind of quiet skeptics or kind of grumpy old men like me, well, maybe not all the time grumpy, it's hard for us sometimes to let our, let our filters of skepticism go and say, you know what, I do believe. I believe that God loved me enough to send his son and that whoever might believe in him might have eternal life. So here we go, verse five. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children, though, because Elizabeth was an, unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was burning, a great crowd stood outside praying. I mean, burning incense by yourself in the Holy of Holies was a very emotional and very scary thing. And the people who were outside praying for Zechariah inside and praying to God that he would speak to them, this was an intense spiritual moment. And while he, while Zechariah was in that sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. What parent wouldn't want to hear that? People are going to be so excited about your child, and he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Then, then the angel goes on. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And if you are a Jewish person back then, especially when you're waiting for Elijah return, that's high praise. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
I mean, if I heard that, I'd be like, sign me up for one of those kids. I mean, sign me up for any sort of service that would do that. What a deep and amazing promise that is. And so this is how, this is how Zechariah responded. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Thank you. No, this is what he says. He says, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man now, and so is my wife. Then the angel said, the angel is like indignant, insulted even. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. And boom, Zechariah no longer could talk. I, I love it because Gabriel was mad. He was insulted, indignant at Zechariah's unbelief. Now, clearly, it seems to imply to me there's a consequence for not trusting a promise of God. Now, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why it was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't talk to them. Then they realized from his hand gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, Elizabeth did become pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And she exclaimed, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Now we pivot from Zechariah hearing from an angel that he and his wife were going to have a child to somebody else hearing from an angel that they're going to have a child. You know who this is, right? Because this is Christmas time. Okay. All right. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth now, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. So just time out. If you did not tune in for sermon number one in this series, when I unpacked the genealogy and how important the, the forebears of Joseph were, uh, you should go do that. Um, not saying it's like the best sermon you've ever heard, but it's going to unpack a lot of what um, I've just talked about or I've just read here in Luke chapter 1. That would be Matthew chapter 1. Okay, so Mary hears all this, and then she asks the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And if you've read like we have, the first part of chapter 1, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> Remember Zechariah? He questioned Gabriel, and boom, the angel got really mad and zapped his voice out. So we know what happens if you doubt God's promises, or, or even express a little bit of uh, surprise. The angel replied, though, kindly, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Hmm. You noticing the discrepancy? So God gets, or God's angel, God's messenger, that's what angel means, angelos means messenger. So um, 
God's messenger gets really indignant and mad that the old guy doesn't believe him. But when the pretty young girl says she doesn't believe him, he's like, oh, I understand. Let me explain it to you a little bit more. What's the difference? Is it just that he's like extra nice to a, a, a young girl who's a little bit a little bit uncertain and extra harsh on an old guy who ought to know better? Yes, I think that's the answer. But let's parse it out a little bit. So does it have to do with righteousness, right? Was Mary more righteous than Zechariah, so she had a bigger cushion for disbelief? Um, doesn't look like it. Uh, scripture says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very careful to obey all God's laws. So righteousness-wise, no difference, I don't think. If anything, we don't have any testimony like that about Mary. She could have been a, a wild young thing, right, as a, as a teenager. Maybe it has more to do with the role. So Zechariah had the role of being in the priestly class. His job was not only to do activities that supported the temple institution, his job was to listen clearly for God's voice. And when he spoke, people would listen. Now, Mary was a lay person who nobody listened to because she's a girl, first of all, she's young, second of all, and she's from the boondocks, right? So, well, Nazareth wasn't a boondocks, but it was a pretty small town. So, to whom much is given, whether that's wealth or position or power, education, much will be expected. We've heard that from God. So, including trust in God's promises. So, so maybe it was the difference in role that determined there that was behind the difference in how Zechariah in how um, Gabriel responded, or maybe it was the message itself. It wasn't. It wasn't that surprising for Gabriel to have someone disbelieve that they would become magically pregnant without any sort of human, you know, interaction. Um, by the way, go back to the SNL skit, see what I mean? Anyway, um, but, but it was surprising that, that someone in the, in the tribe of Abraham and Sarah who had their first child when they were old couldn't believe that it too would happen to them. So, so maybe it was the difference in the message. But as I, as I prayed about this, getting ready for the sermon, Guys, I honestly think the difference was age. It's like Zechariah was old enough to know better. And, and by know better, I mean, the older you get should not, should not, be, should not track with the, the more cynical you get, right? I mean, the older you get, your age should bring wisdom. And part of wisdom doesn't mean you're skeptical about more things. It means you believe more things. It believes you trust more things of God. For me, that's the difference. An older person who's distrustful and believing and unbelieving, I mean, to me, that's a sad thing. And in Gabriel's eyes, it was a bona fide aggravating thing. And for those of you who are older, let's just say my age and up, your belief in God's promises, it honors God and it inspires the people around you, your family, your workplace, your friends. And so there's more there's more writing on us as the elders in our society, as the elders in our families, the elders in our church. There's more writing on us to be believing in God's promises more faithfully, more quickly, more joyfully than the young people around us. I'm not saying that's how it is. I'm just saying that's how it ought to be. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, even if you're just quietly and politely unbelieving, I'm not going to say Gabriel's going to be mad at you, that God's going to be out to get you. Not at all. God longs for you to trust his promises because he loves you. He loves you more than the sun, the moon, and the stars. He loves you enough that this baby Jesus 
that we're waiting for on Christmas Eve. This baby Jesus, he was willing to let go to the cross so that you and he could be reconciled for all eternity and that Jesus, with his teachings and his love, would change your life. So anyway, lives that sing praises, I really believe, are more joyful than lives that don't. And as we get older, God, more than anything, wants our lives to be things of joy. Anyway, so Mary hears this without getting punished, right? And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So again, when Zach doesn't believe, he loses his voice. When Mary doesn't believe, she gets gently reminded, but not punished. And the first thing she does is then she stays humble about her new position and she calls herself a servant. In fact, I would say the correct response to being honored is being humble. And the teenager Mary shows us that. Now, if you and I have met in person, and, and most of you, well, I don't know, many of you I have met, uh, whether you, you know, when you've been here on campus or maybe in some sort of travels or, or, or previous congregations. So if I meet somebody, even if it's been a long time, I'm gonna ask you stuff about what you do, right? You know, I am wired to wanna work hard for God. Heck, I'm wired to wanna work hard in my garden. I got a pile of mulch that I bought way too much of. It started out with 18 cubic yards, which is way too much for a postage size lot that we have. But I just wanna make sure I had plenty of mulch and I'm willing to work to get all those cubic yards of mulch over everything. Plus then you don't have to mow the lawn as often or as much grass, but how did I get on there? Chris, how did I get on that excerpt? I don't know. Um, anyway, so anyway, I love to work and, I, and I, love, I love the joy that comes from feeling that my work, in part anyway, is an is act of service to God. In fact, I love serving my wife by working. And if she doesn't notice what I've done to work, I'm like, hey, honey, let me just show you what I did. And we, you know, we've been married a long time and are deeply in love. Well, part of that's a decision on her part to put up with me. But she usually says something like, oh, I love that, what you've done. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Gary uh, Chapman's five love languages, um, serving. But let's be honest, when I ask you what you do during the day for a living, it's not because what you do matters all that deeply to God. I mean, whether you're, a, whether you're a postal service worker or you're a police officer, you're a street sweeper or a pastor, all of us have a role in the kingdom of God and all of us have the ability to serve God in a way that's humble and honor giving. I know we're not human doings, I've heard that. We're human beings, so it's about who we are. We're children of God but I think we need to do something for God to feel good about ourselves and to be everything that God wants us to be. So anyway, Mary hears finally she has got a job. She's not just the fiance of Joseph. She's not just a, a bearer of a baby. She's got a job on top of being a mom. She didn't say, woohoo, I'm gonna be an important mom. I'm gonna be America's best hockey mom, America's best cheer mom. She didn't say, I'm gonna be a mama bear, so look out. She doesn't say, I'm gonna be a famous Facebook poster. I'm gonna make really cool Instagrams of my child. She's not interested in fame. She said, I'm gonna be a servant. I'm gonna serve my God by carrying this child and I'm gonna serve this child by being the best mother I can be. I think that sort of spirit of hum humble self-identification as a servant, whether you're the mom or the dad, is the key to joyful, promise-filled parenting. Anyway, so we're at verse 39, if you're keeping up. 
Anyway, Mary then comes to visit this Elizabeth uh, cousin of hers. A few days later, after Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine that. So you hear Mary's voice, your baby leaps with joy, and then you get the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry. When she felt the Holy Spirit come inside her, she gave a glad cry and exclaimed to her younger cousin, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored, says the older woman to the younger woman, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord would come to visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. And this next line is important, verse 45. You are blessed because you believed what the Lord said would come true. I know those of us are like who know the backstory are like, yeah, with a little prompting from Gabriel, right? But the older woman whose husband didn't believe God's promises complimented the younger woman who did. And to me, that's, that, that points out this truth about, about not only Advent, but about our whole life. Believing God's promises is a big ask. I mean, if you, if you take a bus somewhere, if you sit down in a cafeteria somewhere, if you've got some time to kill before a meeting and you were to be bold enough to ask, do you believe all this God stuff? Somebody might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a church-going Christian. And you said, do you believe it all? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, most of it. And you'd like, well, what parts? And then the, the kind of things they were willing to confess they believe are kind of pretty small normally. I mean, unless you've got a really gung-ho on fire for Jesus kind of Christian, Believing God's promises is a big, big ask, but belief in those promises is a life-changing blessing. And it's not like you have to suspend your, your rational thought all the time, right? There are some things that are supernatural about our belief in God, but it boils down to a, to a belief that God loves you and wants to bless and save and redeem you. In fact, this is how Mary responded. So Zechariah is not able to talk, but Mary responds with a song. Verse 46, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary responds to her job assignment with, with praise. You could say the correct response to getting a job serving God is praising God. You've heard me often say, and Chris too, that the, the motto of our, of our church discipleship vision is to trust and grow and bless. To trust Jesus, to grow as a disciple, and to bless others with our lives. And this is exactly what Mary did. She trusted with some help from Gabriel, that she, could, she, believed, she trusted that she could trust God's promises. She grew in maturity by declaring herself a servant, and then she knew she was blessed to be a blessing. So she goes on with this long song, which is called the Magnificat, and she ends it this way. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And you remember the promise that God made to Abraham, right? Uh, we preach on this pretty regularly. It's in Genesis chapter 12. It wasn't like, I will make you so rich and powerful that all the world will bow at your feet and then you can kick their butts. No, this was what God said to Abram in chapter 12, verse 1. Leave your native country, all your family, and go to the land I'm going to show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. 
and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. But here's the highlight. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. No wonder Mary sang that as part of her Magnificat. That's what was going to happen through her too. All the families on earth were going to be blessed through her. So just like Abraham and Sarah gave the earth a blessing of a holy and faithful people, the Jewish people, Mary was going to give the, the whole earth the blessing of a holy and faithful son of God. And it entailed for each of them believing in God's promise. So anyway, we'll go on. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, her had taken away her infertility, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came to the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his dad, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. And they said, what? There's nobody in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask Zechariah what he wanted to name him. Isn't that great how women are always listened to, right? Even with their own baby, he motioned for a writing tablet and he wrote to everyone's surprise, his name is John. Instantly he could speak again and he began praising God. So apparently when you trust God and you trust his promises, you're kind of inspired to praise, to, to sing hallelujahs and such. This is how it looks on verse 67. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has redeemed and visited his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. He goes on and then a verse or two later, he says, he has been merciful to our ancestors, the one I talked about in Matthew 1, right, in the, in the genealogy, by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham, back to Abraham, we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. I just think every parent, wouldn't every parent want to hear that their child is going to make an impact to the world and how proud we are as dads and moms to say, my child is going to do something good for the world. And that can happen when we trust God and his promises are going to come true for us and our family. If we behave as parents, as leaders, as elders, as teenagers, if we believe, if we behave as people who trust God's promises, God's promises are more easily seen to come true. Anyway, so he goes on and on, and then uh, there's just this beautiful uh, three more verses I want to read for you. You will tell, he's talking now to his future son, or his, his now born son at eight days old. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Man, every time I read that, I think, what a proud and humbly grateful, deeply thankful dad. And don't we all want that for our children? Any person who uses their gifts to bless individuals and, or even organizations, companies, their country, that bring blessings to others, that is enough of a fulfillment of promise to make my heart just fill with joy. Have I ever told you what my father-in-law said when uh, he asked what I was going to do to support his daughter? Um, originally, I told him I was going to go to law school, which he seemed really excited about because 
he'd been an engineer, didn't, didn't finish his college degree, but had made it through a pretty competitive world without that, and uh, was really glad that his son-in-law was gonna do something that was gonna put a lot more than just bread on the table for his little girl. So a couple years later, when I got the call to be a pastor, and he heard that, he just, his whole countenance dropped. I mean, I knew he still loved me, but he said, gosh, you know, Dan, I really was hoping that, you, that you'd grow up to be somebody useful, you know, like, like a doctor or a lawyer or an auto mechanic. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, it's just gonna be a pastor. But I, but I think that's still good. And he's like, well, we'll see. And at least you love my daughter. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Bruce. Um, he managed to uh, become quite fond of me, and uh, I haven't looked back. And uh, he has been very generous and gracious to me despite that initial disappointment. But you know what? I was doing my best to fulfill the promise that God had given me, right? To, to be a person who would be a humble servant of God, in Mary's words, and to bring glory to God, my Savior. So, yeah. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they loved their son. One of the ways they loved him was by believing God's promises, not just the promises about him, but God's promises to the whole world. Their job wasn't just to raise a son in their nuclear family. Their job was to raise a child who knew their place in the world was partially dependent on their skills and their hard work and their family and all that. But their real purpose was dependent on whether they were willing to be part of the story of God to change the world. And I believe, I believe that Advent, the season that we're in now, this third Sunday of Advent today, this is a preparation time. It's not just a preparation time to welcome the baby Jesus. It's a preparation time to welcome the uncertainty and the, and the confusion that sometimes happens when you decide to believe the promises of God. Believe what God has done in Jesus Christ and believe that you too are a beloved child of God who God wants to see have peace in their life and to bring peace to the others in your world that Jesus died to save. You know, I think the promise that God gave us, that he was going to become human and dwell among us, that he was going to teach us what we needed to know to have abundant life in this world and do what he needed to do to give us eternal life in the next. That's a promise that does take some work to believe. But that's what the Holy Spirit's for. The Holy Spirit can bring a can bring a sense of confidence and certainty, can bring a sense of overwhelming joy so that when we hear the name of Jesus, when we hear the voice of Jesus through his holy word, everything inside of us leaps for joy and the Holy Spirit enters in. Yeah, that, my friends, is a promise that's hard to believe, but is an incredible blessing when you do. And when you do, becomes easy to praise, to sing a hallelujah, and to be excited about the birth of Jesus at Christmas time and your whole life long. Thanks for listening today.
Next Sunday, Pastor Chris closes the series with the Gospel of John. A blessed Advent.